the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode number 70, recorded Friday, December 21st, 2012. The best of 2012. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is our best of show. It's the week of Christmas, so Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. Uh, if you celebrate Festivus, Happy Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, we wanted to take a time to say thank you very much for the listeners uh, who continue to download and or uh, stream uh, the show and listen to the show every week. Thank you so much, and thanks so much for telling other people about it. We appreciate it. That's how we grow. That's how we we become bigger and better. Um, it's been a really crazy year. It's been a good year. Uh, had some fun at Infocom this year and, and, and met a lot of really cool people and, and connected with a lot of really cool people, some of which have been on this very show. One of them is Tom Andre. Tom is uh, the host of a really great podcast called The AV Rant. He's from down, well, he's not from down under, he's in down under. Uh, he's actually originally from the U.S., but he is based out of Perth, Australia, which meant recording the show was interesting. Uh, we, we normally record the show somewhere in the afternoon uh, on Fridays, typically. Uh, people from the East Coast and West Coast seem to, to like that a lot. Um, but Tom's from in, in Perth. So we recorded here uh, in the Midwest at about 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning where it was 9 p.m. Uh, Perth, Australia time. When we were talking with Tom, we talked about the FCC ruling that cable TV uh, could now encrypt their signal requiring everyone to have a cable box. And that actually brings us to our, our, our next story, which is... Uh, the FCC and um, our buddy Julie Jacobson uh, puts it ele- ever so eloquently. I love Julie. <laughs> Stupid FCC proposal <laughs> would kill basic cable. Um, Tom, you're, you're from California. You live in, in Australia now, but you're from California, so you're at least aware of it. In the first, you know, I don't know, depending on the cable system, fifty or or a hundred channels uh, on your basic cable system. You take a, an F connector, you take a, a piece of coax, and you jack it in the back of your TV that has an F connector, and those are unscrambled. You can put them wherever you'd like. You can you know, cycle up and down, and people like Boxy and people like Hop Hog have made businesses around this where you know, you can um, you know, integrate unscrambled uh, cable systems, unsca- unscrambled uh, cable channels, and put them on your computer, and, and you can stream them and stuff like that, and you can record and, and do other things. Um, this this FCC ruling and it hasn't been ruled on yet, but but what the manufacturers and what the cable companies are asking is that hey, can we get rid of that whole little unscrambled thing and and go to scrambled? Uh, and uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, uh, we do a, a daily show with with Gary K from Ray Publications, and and Gary's thing was he thought it was actually a good thing um, because he, he think you know in in. I'm going to paraphrase here, and so I apologize if I jack it up too bad. But basically, you know, it'll help um, further HDMI adoption because what you'll do is you'll is everybody that will have to have some sort of set top box. In the words of the famous Julie Jacobson, 
pooey on that. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, well, HDMI is such a wonderful solution to everything. I think we should use that for, you know, just plugging in things. I I have been a long time uh, hater of HDMI for a lot of reasons. God bless you. It's just, (laughs) you know... you know, and you can really get on if you really want to talk to somebody about it. You have Clint DeBoer of Audioholics talk about it because he's he's actually gone to Monster Cable for uh, and used some of their one hundred and fifty thousand dollar equipment in order to test cable speeds and how long lengths and stuff like that for HDMI cables and all that. And the, it all boils down to the fact that it's just stupid. We never should have gone that way, but we have, and now we're stuck with it. But to make it more. Like they they show the little boxy uh, on the on the article here the little boxy converter the H it looks like that I think it's a USB but mm-hmm. you know it's to 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 encrypt these channels of course they're going to try to do it in California but to encrypt <laughs> these channels it's just the sort of thing that just infuriates and alienates the public mm-hmm. you know you know Joe public does not understand half of them don't even know if it, if it as many as have, you know, most of them don't even know that, that you can get basic cable for free anyways. I know uh, it's been there's been plenty of times in my life where I've gone into an apartment and even though it's happened in the past, you know, or a house and I plug it, I plug in my my cable. I go, hey, look at that works. Huh. I'm getting free cable. You know, I just don't realize it. And it, and it but it does. And uh, the over the air and all that stuff, it's just is not adopted in the states, the way it should be, you know, it, it's it's free. If you're near a big city, uh, there's so many cha- channels that you can get. But like here in Australia, it's completely common over the air. Almost everybody does it because cable. Uh, there's only one. <laughs> you think it's bad there? There's one provider, and they do both satellite and and uh, uh, you know actual cable. And they are the kind of expensive that the cable companies in the United States could only dream of and their wildest dreams. They are just insanely expensive. And then not only that, there is no widespread adoption. So if you want to get it, you have to pay for them to lay the cable to your house. So, you wow. Mm. <laughs> it's like you got to really want that. Oh man, you gotta really love uh, Australian rules football, and they do around here. But um, <laughs> you know, look up Australian rules football on, on TV, uh, on uh, you know, like YouTube, and watch a little bit of it. You'll think you accidentally stumbled onto a German channel because everybody wears uh, high socks and cut off like uh, sleeveless shirts. It's very bizarre. It's <laughs> a very bizarre like game. <laughs> <laughs> Off on that tangent, but yeah. you know. It, it, to, to, to take this kind of end around to, to, to try to, to lock more of these companies out there trying to utilize what really should be free. You know, it really should be available to everybody. It's available over the air. You know, they're just, you know, that it's that way because it's available over the air. They should be able to provide the, that through the cable as well to cut it off just to hamper widespread cord cutting. You know, it's, it, it's just another one of these, these ways that uh, innovation is being hampered uh, by the fact that these companies have no other way of of keeping their business model uh, intact. Yeah. George, what do you think? Is this is this a great thing for HDMI because you know it's such a great connector and, and transport channel, or what? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, and Gary Kay, actually, our our, our friend Gary Kay, um, who. Uh, wrote an article counter to this saying that he thinks that it's a good thing 
um, because it'll finally get everyone to go to HDMI and it'll be a single solution. And he was talking up the praising of the C. Uh, okay, I always get this wrong. Is it CEC, the control protocol that's within yeah, yeah, HDMI? CEC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, CEC. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, he said, well, think of it. You know, you everybody gets this. All you do is hook it up and it's one remote. And the minute you turn on the cable channel, the TV comes on. And then he also goes off into how the you could have vouchers for those who are not of an economic status to be able to afford the cable and all this other stuff, which I'm sure that the cable companies are rubbing their hands going, yes, government money, yes, government money. <laughs> yeah. um, Here, let's, let me write the check to you directly. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> and here's my argument against it. <clears throat> One, just like with the digital transition, vouchers could be an option, but only for a limited amount of time. And given the current uh, political situation with money and deficits and everything else, you know that's not going to happen. Thank you very much. That's off the table. The second thing is with the HDMI, <clears throat> excuse me, the CEC doesn't even work. I mean, they're not applying themselves to the standard. These, all these manufacturers got together, said, yes, we will do this. And they didn't learn the lesson from the MIDI people. Yes, if you're going to say yes, actually do it. Don't do things like, oh, you mean if you have two Blu-ray players in the house, I shouldn't turn the other one off if you turn both on. Because what if it's going somewhere else, but it's on the same network? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. Now, for the standard home, it might be a a small option. But you know what? If it's going to grow, it's still a problem. It's going to hit a brick wall, and we're still not solving the problem, which is my cable company, Cablevision, just wants money. They don't care, just like the the teams that they sponsor. But I won't get into that. Um, <laughs> they don't make the cable companies don't care about you in the states anymore. What yeah. happened when I left? Well, you, you know, when, when, when you I left, you were the last one they cared about, Tom. And then you left. <laughs> I know. They're like, oh, we give up. That guy's gone. There's no point He's in being in business anymore. I would, I would, I would, I would do a conspiracy theory. Think I may, they may have shipped you out just to get rid of the one guy that they were. <laughs> But yeah, so it would be great to have that one plan, and this is a great thing for HDMI. But you know what? You're right. Everybody really does have a love hate with HDMI, more on the hate side. Um, I was going to say there's love. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, some people do. They like that simple connection. You get your HD HD Uh, and your surround sound on one connector. That's kind of a neat concept. But it doesn't – it's not working. And you want to see the hate rain down. Julie Jacobson is friends with one of the guys who developed HDMI, and she put on her personal Facebook page. <laughs> she bumped into him at Cedia or CES, uh, CES, and the hate that rained down. And she's like, wait, wait. This is my personal page. It's a friend. Here, go talk over here about how much you hate him. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just so instantaneous. Like they weren't even being kind. It was like yeah. – the hate that rained down was just not appropriate. But that's the, the passionate dislike of this thing. Is the passionate dislike because there's no captive connector, or is it just the actual transport? Because one of my biggest issues is the fact that, you know what, I can't secure this sucker to save my life. Well, the fact of the matter is that you can maintain the standard and put it on a different connector. I mean, it's all encapsulated in a TDMS stream, so what the freak does it matter if it's a square shape, a round shape, or a stinking Cat 5 connector? Just give me something that locks and works. And stop encrypting my content. I think that's that's the bigger thing. Right on. That's the bigger thing. I mean, the the, the captive connector is the sock on the floor argument. You know, when you're married and you're Mm -hmm. really upset and you have an argument about someone leaving a sock on the floor, it's not the sock. It's something else. It's It's when you start cheating on me. of HDMI. (laughs) You know, the EDID requirements and the keys and the this and the that. That just makes your life a mess. Uh, I mean, from the – I think the general consumer uh, perspective is simply confusion. 
mm-hmm. know, it, when when you get a when you get a, a coax cable or a, a component video cable or a S video cable, you plug it in. There is no confusion. It it this is what it does, and that's all it does. But with HDMI, with them changing the standard every year or two, if not more. You know, it, it, you get a cable and it says it's 3D or you, 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 a device, you get your new 3D TV, your new 3D Blu-ray and you put it into a Blu-ray player and suddenly it's not 3D. You're like, well, what is the, you know, why do we have to keep changing these things? Because you don't and have the latest service pack. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, and, and, and they just, you know, and, and I don't really think that if it, if it was just if they just put it out and said, this is it, this is what we're going to do. And everybody's got to work within that. And that's that's it. Then I think the, the, the public would have, you know, been much more accepting of it. The idea, I think you're right. It's, it's absolutely right on. I mean, this is what we want. We want one cable. Everybody wants that. It wants to be high definition and audio on one cable. We were all excited when it came out. I remember going to CES and they showed, I think it was a Pioneer booth. They had, you know, two receivers and, uh, you know, uh, like a Blu-ray or CD player or a bunch of, you know, like a bunch of components all stacked up on top of each other. And they had one connected with, you know, component video and, you know, all the audio cables that you would need and all that. And the other one was, you know, three or four different little HDMI cables just kind of daisy chained up. And it was beautiful. You just look at it, oh, man, that's so awesome. I can't wait for that. You know, what we didn't know is that we were going to have HTCP problem, you know, lock-on problems. And, you know, and, and instead of instead of being able to switch instantaneously between inputs like we've always been able to do, suddenly we get to switch and wait. Oh, this is fun. I like black screens. <laughs> so soothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think Michael actually probably hit on something jokingly when he said service pack. Part of the problem is the fact that this came to us from computer guys. They love service packs. They love updating things and fixing you know bugs and crap like that. So Or creating bugs. Well, or creating bugs. <laughs> The thing is, I mean, and and I hate to come at this from like, you know, the use your feelings perspective. I'm being such a girl here. But, you know, I I, I look at this. I read this story and I was thinking of my 71-year-old mother the entire time who, you know, she remembers when you bought a TV, you plugged it into the wall. Yeah, you had to move those rabbit ears around a little bit, but you could watch stuff. And now she has to have a cable box, and she has to have it hooked up. And she has a CTSD for a son-in-law, a CTS for a daughter, and uh, you know two um, IT professionals for for sons. And it took all four or five of us to put the whole thing together when she got the new TV at Christmas. And even then, it's it's flaky. It doesn't always work because this cable is not right, or that plug isn't correct, or she doesn't have the the most recent cable box, or and, you know. And if they start encrypting basic TV. And, and, and restricting it even further for people like her, you know, she just wants her damn rabbit ears back with tinfoil on <laughs> yeah. them. I mean, yeah. and, and you got to think, you know, not everybody has the technical wherewithal that we do. And even with our technical wherewithal, like I said, it took us five of us, you know, half a day on Christmas to hook up our new LCD for, her, you know, it, it, it's it's getting to the point where in, in an effort to make things simpler and in an effort to control the content and protect it from piracy and SOPA and all that jazz that we're, we're overthinking things so much that it's making things a lot more difficult for your average person. And, you know, even what we think of as the average person is really sort of an educated customer consumer that comes to us for our services. The average, average person doesn't have that much knowledge and wherewithal to, to get things done or money and, 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. and, and we, we need to look at that. You can't – if the FCC is doing its job, I mean, they're there to protect the consumer and to, con- you know, make sure that communications are available for everybody, not just the elite, you know, in Soviet Russia, cable watches you kind of thing. You, you, you don't want them to be too interfering, but you want it to be open to everybody. I mean, it's, a, it's America. It's a democracy, you know, like let the old lady watch TV. Don't encrypt things. Don't charge her extra money that she doesn't have on her fixed income to, you know. Come watch. on. You go, girl. Keep going. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, seriously. Preach you know, it. She, she, she just wants to watch Family Feud, for God's sake, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know what? That, that's just it, though, Don. The advertisers are paying for her to get access to that. And I think that's what pees me off more than anything else about this whole technology and the whole idea of trying to encrypt things that are, you know, I'm not saying, hey, give me my cable for free. But the fact of the matter is you took something that was widely available that had good indoor penetration, analog television. And I'm by no means an advocate of analog. I love digital technology. But we did not deploy digital technology correctly in the United States. And now what happened with the DTV transition, people who once had access to this stuff no longer had access. Okay, so let's get them a voucher. We'll get them a, a TV box. Oh, wait, the signal's not strong enough inside the building. you got to put an outdoor antenna. There's another cost. And a lot of these people didn't understand the fact that they could do that, so they, they felt like they were forced to go buy cable to begin with. And now you're going to take their free-to-air channels that are in the cable system, and you're going to say, oh, wait, you're going to have to pay a $5 a month subscription now to gain access to this. I'm by no means a bleeding heart, but come on. Really? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is this is a perfect example of a book that I keep at my bedside table, literally called "When When Things Bite Back: Technology and the Revenge of Unintended Consequences." It's by Edward Tenner, and it's a beautiful book about how we make great plans and make these things that say, you know, this is the answer and be all, and we get really bit in the and butt. And we bottom. get HDMI. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I got one to throw with that, George. The inmates are running the asylum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> that would describe us, indeed. That would indeed describe us. <laughs> Clip number two from the best of 2012. One of the biggest stories from 2012 is the fact that Extron uh, said that they were no longer going to exhibit at Infocom the show or ISC. Uh, it was done with a press release and also a video from uh, the owner, uh, Andrew Edwards. And so that was one of the biggest stories of 2012 and actually carried through uh, through multiple people doing blogs and, and, and um, positing their own opinions about whether or not it was a good thing or a bad thing. But this was our this clip comes from the uh, very first week it came out. So this was our initial reaction. Something came down the pike on Tuesday that had not only Twitter, but also Facebook and just the internet and also phones in general going nuts. And I think it's a big story. We'll go around the the horn and and see what you guys think. But on Tuesday, Andrew Edwards, the the head of Extron Electronics, released not only a a written statement, but also a, a videotaped one as well. It starts out like this, and this is a quote, after serious reflection and review, I have decided to make a significant change to our trade show schedule. Effective this year, Extron will no longer exhibit at the Infocom USA and ISC Integrated System Europe trade show. Mr. Edwards goes on to say that, you know, they, they've been doing a lot of retooling and, and they're more focused on local 
trading and, and their local offices, which they're, they're starting to open some more of. Michael, we'll start with you just because you're, you're right here next to me in, in studio. You're, you're an Extron dealer. Tech is an, is an Extron dealer. What is your sense and, and how big of, an, of a deal do you think it is that Extron is, is removing themselves from, from this year's Infocom and, and the foreseeable future ones? Well, if I'm Crestron, I'm saying welcome to my party. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's a I think it's a huge mistake on Extron's part to make this move. Um, I know in the article, Mr. Edwards says that it's not a financial decision. That they're a strong company. They've released many new products this year. They're growing. They're changing. But I can tell you, based on personal experience, Extron's losing market share. They're losing market share to the innovators of digital technology. And um, they've got to be hurting in some capacity. And I don't know if this decision is being driven by that or not. But at a minimum, still have your presence made at, at Infocom. Goodness sake, you don't have to pull the plug on everything. So you're saying don't, you know, yeah, yeah you can scale back the bash or cancel the bash. But at yeah. least show up. You know what? Give it to, you know, reward your top 10% of dealers and, and throw a nice little private party for them if that's what you want to do. You don't have to rent out Planet Hollywood and invite everybody and their entire families. Well, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, it's always been it's a nice. great time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a definitely a nice time for anybody that's been to the Extron parties. But, um, you know, I think it's really kind of alienating their, their dealers in um, – giving that form for them to come to the show and have access to the people that they'd normally wouldn't have access to on a day-by-day basis. Now, I think it's a noble effort to increase your training efforts and your educational efforts and things like that. And Extron has always been heralded as a leader in training and education, but I can't imagine the marketing folks um, uh, rolled over easily with this decision. Well, the ironic part of that is is on our, on our education show, EdTech, we had on Tim Schnabel, which to me is, is one of the best education guys uh, in the industry to talk about exactly that, is talk about their, their education uh, programs at and, Extron. And Tim's with Extron, right? Yeah, yeah, Tim, yep. I'm sorry. Yes, we, Tim Schnabel from, from Extron, he's, he's a part of their, their education team. George, uh, Extron was one of the big three platinum sponsors. So this is not like uh, some guy in the back hall pulling out. Uh, is this is this a sign of things to come, or is this just this one company making this this decision? I've heard all kinds of stuff from guys that I've been talking to uh, on both sides of it. Um, I've heard guys saying, you know, I've talked to a lot of people saying, oh, if they could only go out, this would be, you know, it takes one big player to go, and all the rest will follow and fall out. They're really angry. They think it's too much money. Blah 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 blah. Yet all of them admit that the shows, of course, drive sales and are really resourceful and are good things, right? Not just for all of us getting together, having a few drinks and seeing the product, but the important part is seeing the product. I have been questioning this and asking on the articles since uh, since Rave pushed it out first on Twitter and on their blog, is, uh, trying to figure out why this would work for them. <clears throat> and what they're saying, of course, is what? They're going to have education centers across the country where they'll have big demo areas, sort of like Crestron's experience centers, sort of like Savant's experience centers. But I can't understand how that's going to replace the face-to-face and being able to cater to and show off to thousands of people in a short three-day period. I mean he says in his little – Andrew says in his letter, these short three days. Yeah, but I don't go everywhere, and I'm not going to go to 15 different locations to see one product's or one manufacturer's product line 
so I'm not the guy getting trained. Okay, so maybe I'm not the prime sales person they're going to go after, or the prime revenue, but I'm tertiary revenue. I buy a lot of Extron GAC. And I don't see how wanting me to come – okay, it's in New York. It's not that difficult for me. But if I'm in just outside the borders of those metropolitan areas, that's a tough call. And if I'm sending somebody to those, I'm sending one guy, not four. Yeah, right. So that's one guy who has to help make the decisions. Maybe it's easier for you to woo, but then he's got to – then you're going to take out of the, 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 the decision process the three other guys who now will start looking for alternatives because they couldn't go see the product. And as somebody said in one of the links, um, maybe I start looking at AMX's stuff. That looks pretty interesting because they're there. Um, and the only other thing – and so I, I'm having a real difficult time seeing how it works for them. And trying to figure out where he's seeing that it actually does work. Maybe it's a pipe dream. Maybe like Mr. Forgoza said on his Twitter account uh, that this could be Extron's quickster moment. (laughs) (laughs) Give him credit for that because that really struck me like it could be. Or maybe they're just trying to needle Infocom and I'll come back next year. I'm I'm really hard-pressed to see. To their defense, what did Infocom say? We're sorry to have them go. Yeah, 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 all the niceties. But they also said something to the effect of Kodak left us years ago. Yeah. We're still here, <laughs> and they were the big one. I'm still mixed up about it, really am. Well, and and not, I'm not really concerned about the show itself because, I, and this is kind of how, how my brain works, I, I went immediately, once I saw the link on, on Rave, to the Infocom show, infocomshow.org, and they already had the third, the, the, the Extron's Platinum sponsorship had already been replaced by Samsung. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, you, you know, nothing against Andrew or, or Extron, but, you know, it, it, they already found somebody to, to take that. Uh, Adrian, is this, is this you know, it, worse for, for Extron or worse for the users? Well, it's not a decision that was taken very lately. Um, I actually have uh, a little bit of insight of this because my company's actually exhibited at Infocom four years in a row. Oh. So I know the undertaking that, it, that happens to put, a, to, to put a booth on at Infocom. And, you know, my little 10 by 10 booth was nowhere close to what Extron would do. No, but, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap, no. <laughs> um, just to give you an idea, a, a small 10 by 10 booth, small company, maybe two people, you're looking around $10,000. So when you look at, at what Extron had, the size of their booth, plus the bash, millions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and same thing with Crestron. And then they're doing that not only in Infocom USA, but they did it at ISE. Um, they're doing it at other locations, um, you know, in, in India, in China, um, all over the world. That's a big dollar ticket when you look at marketing and training and where you could be putting your money best on a yearly basis. Um, when you're looking at employees, you know, they're, they're, they've got around 2,000 employees. Well, they're probably taking, you know, around 500 or more to the show. You know, sales team, tech guys, they're sh- you know, you got to shut down a couple offices. You've got to run skeleton crews. It's a big undertaking. Mm-hmm. So for them to pull out of the show, it's not like, hey, we're just going to leave the show. It's it's probably been considered for a while, probably even before ISE. And, and uh, you know, it happens. Uh, Infocom uh, is, a, is a monumental thing to do as a manufacturer, as a vendor to show up there and do. Um, for them to do it as long as they've been doing it, um, and all of the the input they put in. I mean, it's not just them doing the show. I mean, they they supply a lot of excellent trainers for uh, the Super Tuesday, for a lot of the courses. Uh, I'm pretty sure those guys are still going to be involved, just not to the extent that they have been in the past. 
um, kind of, I'm, I'd like to do the wait and see approach. You know, let's see what happens. But, but why pull out all the way? I mean, that's that's what I don't get with this whole thing. So, so you want to scale back and you want to reallocate some resources, both financial and human resources, to, to enhance and build up your training efforts. That's great. But why pull out completely? I, I just don't see the logic in that. You know, there's probably something. You know, I don't want to speculate, but there's probably more going on that oh, we're not speculate. aware of. Oh, there has. Oh, you got to. Yeah, there, there's, there's got to be. There's got to be way more going on. I mean, um, I know for a fact. I mean, there there are a lot of vendors who go and do Infocom. They're a little put out of joint over the priority boost based selection, um, and basically it works like this. The more you go, the higher you get in rank, which means you get priority boost base picking. Um, so everybody in the front row, they've been there for long. They have the ma- they have the most amount of points. They get to pick wherever they go. And there are some vendors, they have a guaranteed location. This is where you're going to be year in, year out. Yeah. Um, some vendors have started to scale back. I mean, if you've noticed the last couple of years, NEC has scaled back their booth. Um, Sony, uh, what was it, one year, they weren't even going to show up. They came. They, they had a drastically scaled back booth. Um, so, and, you know, when we look at the trade show market in general, trade shows are getting smaller. Uh, they're going away. Uh, NSCA uh, got to the point where they saw their numbers dropping substantially because you had a lot of uh, integration companies going, I can't do both. I can't go to Infogom. I can't go to NSCA. I'll pick one or the other. Or I'll do one year and I'll do the other the next year. They had the opportunity to merge with, uh, with Infocom, so that show went away, and that consolidated a whole lot of people going to one location. And and also, to think about it, there are only two places uh, from well, when, I, when I've talked to Infocom that actually handle Infocom. That's Vegas, and that's Orlando, and that has to do with um, convention space and hotel rooms. So it's not like Infocom can go to other places. I mean, they tried it at Anaheim, and you know that was a very tight convention spot and not a lot of hotel rooms. So it's not like they can go, hey, we can go to Indiana or we can go to wherever. It's They're dedicated to two locations, hence why they signed that nice big 10-year-long contract um, to do that. So uh, it's, you know, I, this is going to be really interesting to see what happens at this show with their absence. Um, yes, the party's gone and everyone likes the party, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I guess you know, other, the, other the funny thing is step up. The funny thing is I'm not going to miss the party because the years that I went not as a Crestron person, I actually was invited to the Crestron parties, and as a Crestron person, I wasn't allowed at the Extron party. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, it's a watch the party. I'm like, oh, okay. One thing that, that we the other day we 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 have this this daily show with with Gary called the Daily Rave, and he he made the comment that the Extron party was the one party that everybody could go to. I mean, the, the Extron was very, very generous, almost to a fault, which we may be seeing the fruit of that, uh, with, with the tickets to get into the bash. And so that was where you could see people that worked for other manufacturers and, and other integrators and people like me. Education would, would mingle with guys like Michael, you know, and then take a shower afterwards. Uh, <laughs> you know, because they're integrators. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Oh. Just for the record, I'm happily married with my first child on the way. <laughs> There's a story I'll tell you about Michael and his wife and dancing at the Extron Batch later. later so, um. Well, actually, that was the time I, I bumped Andrew Edwards and said, excuse me, excuse me, I need to get through the door, excuse yeah. me. 
<laughs> he turned around and was like, oh, okay. And now we've all discovered why there is no more bash. It's all Michael's fault. I'm like, I, I walk by, I walk by and, and uh, I come up to the table. Tim and my wife are sitting there and, and I go, man, this old dude just standing in the, in the door. <laughs> he was standing in the door and he wouldn't move. And he turns around and, and Tim goes, dude, that was Andrew Edwards. <laughs> actually, story, this is actually how it was. I said, dude, do you know who that was? <laughs> no. Like all, all upset because well, they. I, go ahead. <laughs> I said, that was Andrew Edwards. You know, the guy who's putting on this party. Yeah, it so. was funny. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, I can tell that the couple times I've met Andrew, he's a very gracious host. Awesome. He's Absolutely. A really, he's Absolutely. a really yes. nice guy. Yeah. One of you the know. things that, that I, I, I've talked with multiple people about this, but but their education stuff, not to get on that, but but they, they are very accommodating when it comes to training people at their at their location. And maybe that's, you know what, to me, that's a strength of theirs. And maybe that's Absolutely. what they're playing to. Uh, one of the times that I was out there, probably about two or three years ago, just like everybody else, they cater lunch and stuff like that. And you know, everybody have everybody in. And me, me and the guy that I, I was I was there with, we're just sitting down, having some barbecue and stuff like that. And in walks Andrew and sits down next to us, and and has lunch with us, and and just is the very most genuine guy. Uh, tells us his you know the story of, of how he got involved in, in AV and and the story of Extron, and it, it's fascinating. But he's a very nice guy, and so that's why in my heart I hope that this is not financial. But you know what? There's something, something's not jiving here. You know, something is we're, not. We're it, not getting the whole story. Yeah, the, that, the dots that's are not sure. connected. No, no, that's my, that's my two cents. Anyhow, ching, ching, <laughs> I still can't believe you, you bumped off Andrew Edwards. So. <laughs> oh, geez, Michael, it's Michael, a day. Michael. It's a day I won't forget. Yeah. Me. <laughs> And now because of this broadcast, nor will he. Nor will he. <laughs> right. <That's what> <laughs> Find out that guy's name. Uh, I finally put a name to the face. For yes. years, I've been waiting to find out. <laughs> no more extra for you. <laughs> My name is Indigo Montoya. I'm sorry. <laughs> no more RGB 109. We have just yeah. You just lost. Like you just five lost different control. memes altogether. The soup Nazi to Princess Bride. Love. <laughs> true right. love. True love. <laughs> Okay, I'm done. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> in this next clip, we talk with Fred Bargetzi and Randy Klein from Crestron Electronics. Uh, in this clip, we talk about the digital transition or the analog sunset, as it were, uh, and how, um, uh, how that is affecting uh, the world of AV. All right, you're listening to AV Week with uh, Randy Klein. He's the executive vice president from Crestron Electronics. Fred Bargetzi, he's the vice president of technology for Crestron. Rich Fergoza from Fergoza Designs and Michael Drainer from Tech Electronics. Uh, Crestron has been, uh, I would say, one, one of the leaders when it comes to moving from analog to digital. Some people call it the analog sunset. I personally think that sounds kind of sad, <laughs> so I, I don't like to think of it that way. Let's call it the digital transition. That sounds more nice, and you know, we're moving. Aww, we're, we're keep it cheery. We're advancing in technology. We're not saying the goodbye. analog elephant burial ground. Oh, thank you. There you go. Yeah, you'll just, you'll just trump it out on a. You know, we'll do it. We'll, we'll just give it a Viking farewell. Just call it like it is. You know what? If we could do a Viking farewell. For analog, that would be killer. That's what we should do during Infocom this year. Ooh, let's bury analog. Have a vi- no, have a Viking funeral. You know, with right. the big pile and yeah, the fire and everything. Absolutely, that'd be awesome. Oh, geez. All right. Uh, so at the end of this year, uh, you, you can't get analog out anymore. Um, 
couple of years ago, they, they'd made it to where uh, any DVDs you bought, or any DVD players, rather, Blu-ray players you bought, they stopped, con- they stopped producing them with the component output. And now at the end of this year, every DVD you buy that updates your, your firmware, even though you, even if you don't realize it's doing it, a new one will update your firmware with blacklist and, and firmware updates and stuff like that. It'll say, you know, Mr. Component Output, let's turn you off. Uh, and then you're you are going to have to be forced to to move into into digital. In, in addition to that, uh, about a year or so ago, Intel and a couple other computer manufacturers and, and and people got together and said, "Yeah, that whole VGA output on your computer, we don't like it very much. Uh, it costs us money. It's hard to. Uh, it's getting more difficult to control and maintain. So we're gonna go get do away with it. Roughly 2015 ish. So guess what, folks? In about a year and a half, two years, we're going to be digital it's it's the transition uh randy we'll start with you on this one because you guys have uh, the link have a have a very nice checklist i put in the in the show notes mm-hmm. it's a white paper but it's really a checklist uh, of mm-hmm. what you need to know for the next year or so um how did you guys come up with that and and kind of go over it with me um on what people need to know to go from analog to digital well, uh, first off, the this digital business is something. It's certain. It's nothing new to us. Uh, we started it. We started our product development uh, more than seven years ago. We've shipped our products now uh, over two years. Uh, we, you know, our, our that checklist shows a lot of different things. But uh, and I'll explain. I'll speak to that in a second. But as as far as what it means to us. Uh, today it's over a third of our business. It's 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 is uh, hugely contributory to our growth uh, of our company, which is 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 substantially uh, ahead of where we were last year and ahead of where we were in 2008, which was our last, which was our highest year. So so digital is ever important to our company. Digital is ever important to our industry, and it it also says uh, beyond uh, those those numbers of what the opportunity is out there for everybody in our industry and the requirement. Because as you explained uh, about laptops and VGAs and et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's not, it's, it's a need now, you know, it's a requirement. It's not just a luxury. And every, every day, every month that goes by uh, that requirement, that need is going to be, is going to be far more uh, prevalent in every aspect of commercial and residential uh, technology spaces. So it's important. We developed a check sheet um, to really tell people um, what what we've done and what we've and what we're about as far as our digital offering goes. Um, you know, we have ten thousand certified engineers and designers out there. That's as much or more than Infocom has all CTS uh, in classes. I don't say that because, hey, this is more than Infocom, but I say that was done in two years. Uh, that's That shows the need. There's 10,000 people in, in, uh, in less than two years that have come to, be cert- come to classes to be certified, and we're teaching them new skills uh, and new technologies. Uh, it says that there's a there's in order to really do this successfully, you should have a total 
endpoint to endpoint solution. You can't mix a bunch of pieces. Uh, it's it's complex. There's a lot of moving parts, and there's a lot of dynamic issues to the, to creating a a total uh, solution. And you have to have all those parts. If you think back about think back, that was uh, early on. That was Cisco's fame to claim. Mm-hmm. They provided an endpoint to endpoint solution. And uh, so what we're creating the checklist for is to say, hey, before you, if you should do this and before you do it, make sure that, uh, you know, it's, it's a self-promoting thing. We're trying to promote our, our product line or our company as, as yeah. well. But it says you got to do these things. Well, it, it does, and, and Fred, I'm I'm one of the ten thousand. Yeah, know I mean 10, the I, the checklist is the is the marketing piece, but if it, the, it's, a, it's a three part thing, there's a checklist, there's a PowerPoint that maybe salespeople use to to our customers, but then there's a white paper that that Fred and his his team created, and that's the technical aspects behind that points behind that. Well, and if you look at the world, Tim, today, uh, you know, to your point, you, if you went to CES this year, um, the big one of the big things was Ultrabooks, and yeah. uh, you know that's really the rest of the world. You know, uh, with respect to Apple, the rest of the world's answer to the um, you know the slim laptop. And like you said, you know what? There's no VGA ports in sight anymore. And you know, the funny thing to me is that when we talk to people in the industry, and a lot of people are fighting it, uh, again here, it's like the iPad, right? I see opportunity. Why wouldn't you want to go out and upgrade your customers to digital technology to accommodate whatever their needs are going to be? Why wouldn't you let them take advantage of all the great new high-definition video and be able to take care of all this content protection and all these other bad and nasty things that go along with it. But why wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, my gosh, the opportunity is just amazing. Well, And the ironic part of that is the fact that, in a weird way, Apple has kind of pushed this whole digital thing. I mean, they were the first, one of the first ones to say, we don't do, <laughs> we don't do that VGA thing anymore, you know. And one of the first uh, Apple TVs that came out, they didn't have any sort of analog output. They it had an HDMI connector on it. If yep. you wanted to, if you wanted to plug it into an old style, you know, CRT, you're out of luck. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Rich, is this? I mean, it, you you deal a lot with with commercial and stuff, or with residential and stuff. Yeah. I mean, how, how how much of this is guys who are trying to hook up their Blu-ray players? to five different displays versus, you know, trying to just make everything work. You know, I, I want my, my, let's say, let's say they, they still have VHS tapes, they still, you know, so they're trying to make all this stuff work still uh, and, 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 and still transition to the digital world. Well, I mean, you're seeing more and more of it every day. Again, like you just said, is that, you know, you, you go into a store you go into any brick-and-mortar store, you order a piece online, and you go, wow, I've got the brand-new gadget, and you run over to hook it up to your three-, four-year-old TV, and there's no digital input port. And now you're sitting there going, um, okay, I've got a device that does digital out only. I've got another device that only has analog in. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place, and we're seeing that more and more. And what winds up being the, the solution is you don't get a new TV or, or change this or you know spend more money. Yeah, or um, real quickly, if, you're, if your television is three or four years old, you only have one digital input. Well, you know, on top of it, these are like $99 devices. So you've got <laughs> the marketing segment that's saying it's only $99. Or I, I, I think I, I found a Blu-ray player the other day. It was $88. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a Roku that's fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And and they're touting that these are fantastic and they're inexpensive and you can all you want content. And next thing you know, you like I said, the regular consumer comes up and tries to plug it in, and there's no Gazinta that plugs into the Gazauta at that point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And and so now what happens is that you've either got these you know converter pieces or you have to then step back in and educate the client with like Randy was saying a point to point you know end solution driven system and and that's really what we're dealing with is that we're we're in that that tweener stage of the entire ecosystem switching over um, and now it's even worse because they can do it over the internet. Uh, you know, we we are at times we're not even plugging in Blu-ray players into analog systems. For what you just said, is they're sending out over a firmware update. You know, you get the nice little box firmware update, load it in. Next thing you know, they've got a black image because they shut down the analog outputs on the device that they just bought. Uh, and next thing you know, it's like, well. You know, good luck on getting that uh, that 480i image out of your DVD player or your Blu-ray player. It looks awesome. <laughs> you know? Glad for glad. Aren't you glad you used us this time? Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm gonna ask something. Just ask tonight. How many people do you think are just, are, are gonna keep watching the 480i and go, "This is great. This is awesome HD." You know, I think uh, you'd be surprised how many people think that they're getting HD. And then you walk into your house and you notice that it was never set up. Sadly, I wouldn't I, be surprised, but go ahead. It, it, it's true. You know, and all of a sudden, you, you, know, you flip a button and you, you become the savior because you've turned on what they always had there. It's We're in the industry, so we tend to take a lot of these things for granted. Um, you know, I, I know a lot about AV. I don't know a lot about cars necessarily. So when somebody does something to my car that to them is, you know, kind of basic knowledge, I, I, you know, I thought that they brought down, you know, the tablets from, from Sinai for, to show me. It's like, oh, my God, this is the truth. I've seen, I've seen it now. Um, and, and so, you know, it becomes that education that we were talking about. With you know, I think the checklist is great, you know, and especially with these systems that are starting to be built from here on out. I mean, you've got even the AV receivers are starting to do some upconversion, hopefully. Um, but it's, you know, we're basically telling people, yeah, everything that you owned within the last three or four years, yeah, go ahead and throw it away and buy the new stuff, you know, no problem at all. And last I checked, you know, we, we, there's a couple of things in the news that we read about called the economy, <laughs> you know, and we're kind of rah-rahing saying, hey, spend stuff, buy stuff, new, better, expensive. And at the same point, you know, you, you also have to look at people to, to, you know, sign checks over to you and say, yes, I believe you. I do want to buy things. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it really is a matter of it, there's the high end, there's residential, and there's people who are fortunate enough to purchase luxury goods like a digital point-to-point -point solution. And then there are the relatively normal consumers who maybe don't have the ability to make that, that investment. So what did they do? They bought 15 million iPads last quarter. Yeah. You know, they're taking that money and they're investing it in different goods. So you know, the onus is on us to be able to say, yeah, you know, if you want entertainment, here's how you got to do it. But we're fighting ourselves. I mean, and, and this, is, this isn't even a technology problem. This is a litigation problem. This is, this is purely about the studio saying, we believe you're going to pirate things. So we don't trust you. So we're going to make this extremely difficult based upon the lawyers that we've brought in to 
put this in and, and, and basically grab you by the throat and say, you're going to do it this way. Yeah, we know you bought that last year, but it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, but not to be too much of an Apple fanboy because I, I'm, I'm nowhere near that. Um, they've kind of, uh, I'm not going to say circumvented because they didn't, uh, the, the studio industry. But with this whole AirPlay and throwing it onto the, onto the, uh, the Apple TV device, They've said, you know what? I, I don't care if it's a it's a freaking you know HDMI connector or whatever you want to do. If you have it on your device, I can get it on your TV. No sweat. You know. Well, I, I agree, and that's why they're basically saying, hey, instead of a point to point solution, buy five Apple TVs for five hundred bucks. Hook it, hook them up to each of your televisions. We call it a day. I mean, that's really what we're dealing with. Or or, ba- you know, or buy the feature. Apple TV that's coming out this fall. So. <laughs> The whole world is going to be Apple. It will be. See, see Randy, you should have worked for, for Steve Jobs. Then you could control the world. Um, <laughs> I think there's a. I think there's a lot more world to control still. There probably is. Uh, we, we want our little. Uh, we want our little piece. We want our little. Luck we to- we have our little world, and we've got a lot. We've got a lot more road to go. 2012 kicked off with a bang with CES, with Sony releasing something called Crystal LED, which was interesting, uh, which never really kind of panned out. But it was also heralded as the year of the OLED uh, and also kind of turned into the year of the resolution. Uh, Everything from 4K to 8K, which we now uh, lovingly call UHD. Uh, which is Ultra HD or Ultra Super Duper HD, depends on who you ask. Uh, But in this next clip, we talk about uh, the very first flat panel uh, that touted an 8K resolution. Go back to the to the Verge for a second here, folks. Not because they need listeners or or viewers, just because it's a cool story. It's a 145 inch 8K plasma display. I'll say that again. Yeah. Freaking awesome. 145-inch 8K plasma display. And next to it is a little cardboard sign that says content wanted. Um, (laughs) Don, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. It's a cool thing. I mean, it's a great-looking display, but isn't that the, the, the Achilles heel of all these really great, super high-end displays is there ain't nothing to play on it yet. You are correct, sir. I, you know, I just the the old adage for anyone that's ever done marketing or even do it yourself, home publishing. You know, when you're dealing with Photoshop or anything, you can never go from small to large without it looking like crap. <laughs> you can always go from a big resolution to a small, but not the opposite. And that's the problem these these super displays are going to have for a while um, until you start making the content in giant resolution that can then be scaled down for the normal people. Um, it's going to look like crap when you watch it. That said, though, this is a very cool product, and I'm already measuring my living room wall to figure <laughs> out how I can fit that up there because our little 50-inch is looking kind of sad next to this. Uh, all right, George, she needs one of these because she'll have to get three of her 50s to, to match it. Um, just like with, with the red stuff and, and I'll let Matt beat me up about red in a second. Um, I immediately think of, of people like you that, that do live, live events and stuff like that mm-hmm. because this sucker is heavy. Um, we talked with, with, um, uh, Tim Schnabel from Extron 
few months back, and he was we were talking about the differences between projectors and, and displays. And Tim said he was at Harvard once where they were putting in, I want to say like a hundred inch. And they had to take out walls and ceilings, and it was a big. I mean, mm-hmm. you're paying almost as much for construction as you are the display. So, I immediately think of your wheelhouse when I think of something like this. But do you guys even have anything in the pipeline that would service this for content? Uh, sure. I mean, we've seen stuff where where we do upfronts a lot, and we've seen yeah. stuff that has come in from the the media house that's pretty darn high that we have to down convert and get to you know two sixty four you know h two sixty four nothing this high obviously but it's 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 possible and this is something that we could possibly use although given the price range right now and uh, competing with say LED walls or just you know h- high def projection depending on the, the what you're using it for it may only be a niche thing you know it wouldn't be something we'd store sixteen of to rent out all the time. Um, space wise, it might work, but again, putting in led walls or a projection system tends in our industry to be a far more efficient method because we're not having to do, uh, support of the floor or, uh, you know, have to wait and do something which makes us wait for the scenic people to finish before we can start mapping our projection. You know, this kind of stuff would really do that. Uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, My, my last question about it though is as I'm reading it, um, my first question was, yes, but does it go to 11? (laughs) <laughs> nice. And the the other phrase that caught me was super high vision. I don't know why, but all I keep seeing is a Japanese game show host saying this. Super high vision. Super high. <laughs> With the sound. Super vision. Super high. <laughs> all right, Mr. Yes, Scott. Here's an 8K <laughs> plasma display for you to slap your red camera up to. It would be amazing. Oh, wait. Your camera doesn't do 8K. It only does 4 does any camera do 8K yet? No, but <laughs> exactly. So I mean, but I would still hey, I ha- test it. <laughs> Go ahead, Don. I had a thought. Yes. Just buy one of these puppies, put it up on the wall, and get one of those nice little, you know, uh, uh, screen splitter dealies that you got up there, and put, you know, like you said, three fifty-inch displays at regular resolution, or mm-hmm. you could put a whole bunch of stuff. You don't need a wall of monitors anymore. We just put this on the living room. We can watch three or four channels at once. You know, every person in the house get their own little headset to listen to whichever audio feed you want, and this would be like the ultimate pimp home theater system. Oh yeah, Great. pop it into a like a multi viewer and just yeah. go to town. If I mean multi viewer, yes. that does anything close to what this thing can handle, though. Even in the uh, small the, quadrants, the, the, the Crestron uh, DM thing won't do this, but it, you could split it up into the into the four different quadrants. The, the oh, yeah, you can HD do, version you, of it. You, yeah, you could do DM. You could get like a nice little Echo Labs toy. Anything, you know, whatever. And- <laughs> And it's and it's way easier to convince those guys to build a little box to make this work with multiple streams at once than it is to try to convince all of the big production companies out there to suddenly start making 8K content. You know, yeah. until the 8K content comes along, that's a solution. Well, that's my my issue yeah, with no. all these guys. I mean, it, red aside, and then the red laser projector we talked about last week is really cool. Um, uh, it, it, there is no content, and it, it's a chicken and an egg question and i guess matt will start with you on that who who should drive what i mean years ago it used to be said that that microsoft you know built their their operating system in hopes that the the processor would eventually catch up and then the processors bypassed what microsoft was doing and so it was a back and forth should it be the content creators or should it be the display guys who, who go first 
I would love to see it be the display guys. Well, that's um, what it is. Which it is. And the only reason I say that is because the content providers are, you know, they're, they're doing what they can and they're continually making stuff, but they still don't make things as quick or as fast or as sexy as they want to. I, I always kind of feel that they almost need a goal of something to shoot for. And as soon as, you know, 4k was first announced and Hey, we can do 4k. And then I do remember being at the, the first NAB show when red brought its first 4k camera and like the lineups that we see at Infocom for a product reveal or Cedia for a product reveal have absolutely nothing Mm-mm. on a NAB lineup, especially red. Um, I, I remember seeing the lineup and it was just thousands of people long three days after it was already released. Um, so I do kind of feel that the content guys need something to shoot for. That being said, you know, it, it is a, a give and take and, you know, we can even kind of real quickly spin this back to 3d. Everybody's made 3d products and TVs and computer monitors are now the, the next rumor and stuff, but how many, you know, real 3d films are there still out there that you can actually go buy? You know, how many shows can you watch live on cable in 3d? It's still very, very minimum yet. We've had 3d for what? Three, four years now, almost as almost a standard, especially in the higher end uh, screens and whatnot. So as they build 8k and, you know, continue to build 4k stuff and make 4k more affordable, that's when we'll finally start to see it because it's just as George says, when you get something from an art house or something and it's a super high res, nobody cares because it's all going to be down converted. So, so you can actually play the sucker back until we have the product that it can be displayed on. Why would the content creators go and work so hard um, to, to produce something in 8k when no one will ever see it. Or it'll be a long time sense? before. You know what they... I mean? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It makes complete sense. Yeah. Like, it, like what, what we produce today in say cinema 4d would be awesome if it's in 4k or sorry, if it's in 8k, but when it's another five years before anyone can actively play back something on a standard type system in 8k, what they produce today will look pathetic compared to what they'll produce down the road. Yeah. Like even just watching, you know, the first animated Blu-ray that came out and was readily available, that compared to the animation quality of a movie you go pick up today is night and day. And they're not that old. Yeah. Yeah, they're what, five or six years old? So Yeah. True. At the 2012 Infocom 100, the smart building was the talk of the meeting, uh, having everything kind of tied together through one control system or one monitoring system. In this next clip, we talk with Chris Netto, Harry Mead, and a couple other guys about whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing for the industry. Moving on to Infocom 100, the smart building way. This is from Commercial Integrator Magazine. Um, Harry, your, your wife uh, went to Infocom 100. Um, Aaron, I think you said some of your guys' went as well. Uh, so let's talk about this whole smart building thing, and we'll start with Sean because Sean, you, you you're our token uh, control guy today. Mm-hmm. Um, is this 
is, is the whole smart building thing, and, and if you don't know, here's here's the nutshell version. Um, everything in a building all kind of talking together, and, and that's the smart building. Uh, that includes HVAC and security and the AV system and everything all, ty- all tied together. Is this... Is this more about us as an AV industry trying to insert ourselves into other industries and, and play nice? Or is it us as the AV industry trying to get everybody to play nice together? Or is it neither? I think it's, I, I think, I think it's we definitely see a need. And because of what we do in, um, in the construction process and then when we're bringing systems together – we are the uh, industry that is bringing the, the, I guess, the most disparate systems together. And so we have a skill set in being able to do that. And then there's, there's, there's customers, real customers, wanting to have this capability. Um, where we've seen the challenge, and I've seen a big uptick. Uh, we've been doing this for a very long time. And I remember when we had a, a big Infocom uh, splash around it with our RMS um, system, tying things together back in 2009. A lot of people came to the show and they thought it was really interesting and really cool, but then we just didn't get much dialogue after that. But I can tell you, though, within the last year, there's been a lot of activity at the, uh, at the AV consultant level and, and customer level. And what it required, the challenge is, and, and you guys have talked about this before on this cast, um, the challenge is uh, getting people together and getting other groups working together. And, and, and not only at the, um, at the design level, but at the at the customer level, so where we've seen the biggest struggles is where somebody in a specific area, whether it be AV or facilities or IT, wants to do it, but then the other groups don't. And you really have to have a a, a customer that is over, like a CIO or something like that, that is over all three of those groups that says we're going to make this happen, and that customer commits, and then it happens. Other than that, it makes it very difficult to get those groups to work together. And almost hostile in, in, some, in, some, in some of the instances we've been in, watching facilities and AV and IT go after it, go at each other. Is, uh, that's usually how it happens. But, but we're starting to see a lot more people talking about it. We've actually had some really cool installations recently at a university um, where we've tied in a Tritium's Niagara system. But it was all because there was somebody up above those groups saying, you will work together to make this happen. Who who do you think typically is, is the are the ones driving that? Is it the customer, the end user, or is it some really knowledgeable consultant along the way saying, "Mr. Customer, you've got all these systems. You need to have this." It's it's a bit of both. Sometimes, and usually, they're sold on the concept by a consultant, and then okay. and then and, and the consultant helps sell the idea, and and they've been the ones who've been really really passionate about it. Um, and so they'll usually, from what we've seen, sell the customer on it, and then it's the customer who has to drive it through his organization to make sure everybody works together and, and it all happens. In, in a perfect world, who would you rather do, do it? Would, would, would you rather it be the consultant, or would you rather it be maybe everybody? Like, no, I shouldn't say everybody, but maybe be you know um, the consultant or, or maybe even the manufacturers or the, the electrical or the IT guys. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see customers pulling this through because I think we would really see an expansion in it if, the, if a lot more um, customers were exposed to this type of capability and they pulled it through. That's always, that always generates the most business for everybody. Um, but, uh, and, and I think that's what the Smart Building Task Force is all about is trying to you know, evangelize this and, uh, and with the AV integrator community also. 
because the more we're talking about it, and then of course from a manufacturer's side, our responsibility is to deliver more of a complete solution. And you're starting to see that from not only uh, our company but others in the space too. So where it is bringing together some more of these systems, making it easier for people to uh, to integrate these in as solutions. Chris, how do you do that <laughs> as as somebody who's probably you and Aaron are, are probably the closest ones to end users? Um, how do you get your organization to say, you know what, guys, um, our next building or our next rehab or our next, you know, our next renovation, we need to do this. How do you get everybody on the same page? It is, um, it, it's not easy, but if I put my consultant hat on and I am working with the customer, the customer is the one that's going to want to be able to do this. And is you know, as commercial AV people here, I'm going to have to pull it to the resi side. If they can do it at home, they want to see it in the office. At home, they can control their nest through their iPads and through all that. So a lot of these executives and a lot of people in power have the capability to do it at home, and they can't fathom why they can't do it in the office. So in that case, we have that working for us. So to deliver that complete solution in a complicated office setup, you do need to, you know, you, you do need the customer buy-in. I think it's the customer that will push it. I mean, I deal every day uh, with, obviously, I, I'm on site with a customer. So I have the customer uh, asking me for things, and I have to go talk to facilities a lot of time. And then there's IT. Getting a seat at the table, and we've had this conversation before, Tim, with uh, with Kevin Iacelli. It's, you know, the fact that we can even say that we're sitting at the same table with the same decision makers that are were never invited to these meetings. Now we're starting to get these calls in because there is nobody who speaks the languages that we speak and can understand them. Mm-hmm. You know, so to be able to talk to an HVAC guy, to an IT guy and connect your displays that are in the conference rooms and make it all work, you know, Regardless of what what control system you're using in a conference room, for example, the ability to walk in and hit a button and change your temperature in that room and allow for your lighting systems to be controlled and everything to be working on one system and then having a main system that controls it all, there's there's definitely a beauty in in the simplicity of that. But it's hard, man. It's it's hard to get everybody on the same page because it depends on, you know, there's so many different factors that come into it and it even depends on what region of the country and what politics you're dealing with, you know? So it's, it's, it's a tough answer, but I agree. It is becoming a hot topic and more and more, you're starting to see a lot more, uh, uh, conversations about complete system integration and when we, or complete building integration, as opposed to, you know, my HVAC system, my lighting, et cetera. Tim. Yes. This, uh, this was actually a, let's call it a topic of intense discussion between <laughs> AV Dawn and I <laughs> after, <laughs> after Infocom 100. <laughs> Have because, you talked since? Yeah, have you talked since? Have you made up? Have you bought flowers, candy? <laughs> yes, we have talked since. Everything no. is fine. But uh, um, yeah, because I mean, she came back on a sugar high from the Kool Aid at the Infocom <laughs> 100, <laughs> and I'm like, I just sat there and said. Okay, that's that's cool. Well, I have a couple of concerns. First, 
it took us 10 years to get on people's networks mm-hmm. <laughs> just to get on the network. Yeah. <laughs> now we want to get on the HVAC network. Now we want to get on the building control network. Now we want to get on securities network. And it just it seemed very daunting in that regard. Also, excuse me, the the cost associated um, the upfront cost because we've talked about what Chris was just saying we've talked about for years I've been selling AV systems since the 90s where we talked about yeah we want you want to come in and push a button and the lights set up and the uh, and and the temperature is set to what you want and 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 all this stuff and when you got down to it it for to, to go an extreme example, it turned into an Extron push button thing on the wall. <laughs> wow! <laughs> because they didn't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So it's it it. There's going to be some pushback, I think, in getting over the initial budgetary issues to get these smart buildings together. I agree. We can do it, and we are the best. As an industry, we are the best equipped to get this done. It's just convincing everybody. And I don't think it even needs to convince everybody else that we are the best to get it done. It's convincing the people with the money to let us do it. (laughs) Well, you knocked me off my sugar high, man. Jeez. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) I'm out. It was Thanks, Harry. Hours, I guess we'll man. close up shop now. <laughs> yeah. It was two hours, Harry, man. Harry, Harry, <laughs> don't, don't go to Harry with an idea. Here. Harry Mead just closed the doors <laughs> of AMX. Wow. That's a good point. In fact, uh, I was looking through the notes that Mike Carter brought back from the um, from the uh, session, and you know they're they kind of stock value because it is very difficult um, because of all the parameters involved to show an ROI. But that makes it the selling part process a little bit more difficult too so so you know it's up to it's up to us as manufacturers to come up with more efficient ways to uh to deliver that uh, solution that they're looking for this is just a complete all-around number sale it's it's not you have to get past the numbers and you got to show the metrics you got to show the value that come associated with it yes it is hard but you know what when you have everything working together i'm sure that you guys and uh, all the other competitors that are out there in this space can show the value of one system running at all. But then there's always the doomsayers that are like, you know, is there any redundancy in this? What happens if one thing goes? You know, and then people start thinking, uh, what is it, uh, Skynet and Terminator and all that <laughs> sort of jazz. But... Yeah, like building an Android system that wow. gets a virus. Between, yeah. between Harry and Chris, good Lord. <laughs> yeah. It's the but, end I mean, of it's the still- world. Do we deal step in reality one. here? Yes. Step one, you know, is getting visibility, right? Um, and yeah. tying it all together. And that's and I know that, that was another big topic there is the dashboards and and all the information and then the analytics. But uh, there, you know, there are tools um, now available um, for all those systems to be able to pull all that data together. And then you really don't get to figure out what kind of savings you're going to have until you measure it, and then you can begin managing it. But just getting that visibility is huge. Okay, so I'm going to join the 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 snarky, you know. Uh, doomsayers here. This, the, uh, you guys are not AMX, Crestron. Uh, you guys are not the only ones who do this. 
from the other side, HVAC systems are starting to do this. Lighting system guys are starting to do this. Security people Secu- are doing it. Security people mm-hmm. are doing this. Um, I was sat in a meeting probably about six months to a year ago with a train manufacturer, T-R-A-N-E, not mm-hmm. Choo Choo Train, um, where they were saying, yeah, you know, now we can control lights with this and this, that, and the other. And it was eerily similar to a pitch that I sat through at Infocom at the AMX booth. Um, right. So, and this this can go to Sean or, or anybody else, really. How do we as AV guys go, yes, they can, but this is why we're better, or this is why we kind of bring everybody in? Is it maybe it's it's Chris's, you know, we speak more languages than anybody? Oh, it's more than that, Tim. You just, just throw an HDMI cable on the table, <laughs> a, a, a Cat 6 on the table. You just keep putting them up. We can identify all those cables. That HVAC guy doesn't know nothing but his uh, CFC free on anti-whatever. We're the only ones that know this stuff. I mean, granted, they all have their own you know languages, but we interact with all that. The the podcast that we that I was on with you with um, we brought up the um, oh god, and now it's slipping my mind. But we brought up an, a, a an approved language or something that everybody's now adopting for HVAC. And that's something that other like AMX and Crestron are both working with already today. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think that we we are the only ones. Th- tell me who can do it, Tim. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and, and that was uh, it was it the wasn't plumber? Yeah, yeah, the plumber. Yeah, the plumber can do it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a rhetorical question, but it was an honest question because it, it's a question that your facility guys are going to ask. Your, it's a question that your IT guys are going to ask when. Either you're not in the room, AV guys, or you are in the room and you need to be able to answer that question. You we know, just gotta get, we got to get past the fact that we are we label ourselves AV guys, okay? And when you say AV, there's only audio and video in that word right there. And our our roles have expanded. We're doing a lot more than just audio and video. And the downside to us trying to take control of something like that is, why are the TV guys trying to take care of this? Because that's what you're going to get when we leave the room. You know, those guys know no projectors and TVs. Why do they want to control a building? You know, they don't see what we have to do with IT, with HVAC currently. You know, they don't see that interaction. And I think that's sort of the stigma that we get, and that's something we got to get by. That's true. That you know, it comes down to the brand uh, that you're that you're that customers are looking at us as and it's really i mean we're technology integrators technology integrators not av integrators but technology integrators and i think the more we can do to promote that brand uh, and and distance away from just audio video is key because that's that's what you're doing is you're t- you're taking all these different one of the i guess when we look at the av industry compared to it and building management systems you know one of the things we've suffered from for you know forever is a lack of standard protocols, right? That's why guys like us and the guys up in New Jersey exist, right? Um, but because of that, the challenges that you as integrators have have uh, ac- you know basically been able to accomplish over the years was bringing these disparate technologies together, um, more so than any other industry. Whereas IT has had open standards and they've had really well-defined standards for a very long time, um, and then and building management to some extent also. So I think this industry again, because of the history, has the optimal skill set to deliver this solution. Yeah. Okay. So enough of the. <laughs> I don't know. Sold. 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 All right. 
All right. I was going to say, I never said it was a bad idea. I just said somebody's not going to want to pay for it. He has concerns. Concerns <laughs> is what he has. Uh, and, oh, yeah, well, and I think we're all in agreement. It is not easy. I mean, there is a, there is a sale that needs to occur. Um, there's value that needs to be shown. A value proposition needs to be delivered, and it needs to come. Uh, it needs to be delivered as a comprehensive solution. Um, so it's it's definitely not going to be an easy road. No, but there's I, definitely an opportunity there. And I think it does come down to that those those three nasty words that that guys hate to hear, and that's ROI. You know, the whole return on investment, because sometimes. You know, it's like, what is it? Um, you know, solar panels. Well, there's, a, there's an ROI. It's just, you know, your grandchildren will realize it. So, I don't know. Um, go ahead. And nobody wants to be the guy who walks in and the heating's on in the middle of summer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no. So, you're, you're, you're going to get another finger pointed at you. So. Okay, can I? Okay, the, the, one last question about this and we'll move on. That's the other thing. Um, I have worked at institutions before because it has AMX on it, or it has Crestron, or it has Extron on it. The AV guy is the one that gets called. So mm-hmm. whether it's a Lutron, or it's an EDI, or it's an AMX, or whatever, if we start controlling the building, why should the AV guy get the call initially? And that's going to take some doing, is it not? Yes, and I can tell you uh, for a fact um, because, yeah, we typically have the user interface, right? So you're going to see AMX or another competitor brand on there. That's what people see. And so no matter what's going on behind the scenes, that's who they're calling. Mm -hmm. Uh, 70% of our technical support calls have to do with third-party equipment, not AMX equipment. So now we're willing to help, again, because our our customers are integrating all these technologies. So we're there to help solve that problem. But uh, that is a situation. And what it requires is really well-defined interfaces between these between these uh, systems so they can be easily diagnosed of where the issue is. And that's not always an easy thing. No. Thank you so much for listening to the best of 2012. My name is Tim Albright. I have been your host. I have been for the last year and a half as we continue down this road. This is episode number 70, which is kind of cool for us here at AV Nation. Uh, We continue to try to make the best uh, podcast we possibly can, the best content that we possibly can for you and for everybody in the AV industry. Uh, We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you telling others about it. And we appreciate you going by the website. Our our website is avnation.tv avnation.tv. You can also find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, uh, and I believe we still have a a Google Plus page. So check that out if you will. Very Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Festivus. Uh, Enjoy your week. If you have some time off, enjoy it with your family, and uh, we will catch you on our year-end special, uh, which is kind of where we look at the past and, and also look ahead to see what's coming down the pipe. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week.